Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Uh, This morning we're finishing up the book of Philippians. We'll be in chapter 4, verses 10 through 23. Uh, Before we turn there, uh, that's, that's on page 981 if you're using the Pew Bible, But before we turn there, uh, let's turn to the book of Hosea. If you're using uh, the Pew Bible, that's on page 758, Hosea chapter 13, verses 4 through 6. Hosea chapter uh, 13, verses 4 through 6. Uh, Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus, uh, this is God's holy, infallible, and abiding word. Give your full attention to it. But I am the Lord, your God, from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me, and besides me there is no Savior. It was I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. But when they had grazed, they became full. They were filled, and their heart was lifted up. Therefore, they forgot me. Let's turn now to Philippians 4, beginning in verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity but that I am speaking, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians... Yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Uh, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus, the brothers who are with me greet you, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let us pray. O Lord our God, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our Lord, our Rock, and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, So, we've made it. Uh, We're at the end of the book of Philippians. Uh, It's been quite the journey. I'm going to miss preaching from it. 
Paul has called us throughout the book to strive together side by side, together for the common cause of the gospel. Uh, he said to imitate him and others like him and like him in doing so. And ultimately, he called us to be like our humble Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, who emptied himself of his divine status. He who was considered who considered others more significant than himself by taking on the form of a servant. And Paul now, in our passage, calls us to be content in that same Savior. And so I want us to wrestle with a simple idea this morning. Uh, and here's our big idea. It's this. Uh, only Jesus Christ can make your heart content in the ups and downs of life. Very simple. Uh, only Jesus Christ can make your heart content in the ups and downs of life. Uh, remember, Paul just urged us not to be anxious about anything. Yes, uh, that includes that thing you're always worried about. Don't be anxious about anything, he said. And he said to pray that God's peace might rule over our hearts. And then he said to follow his example. And so in our passage this morning, Paul is modeling for us one last time something to imitate for him or from him. And that's this. It's how to be content in God. Uh, Paul begins to wrap up his letter with the way he started it. He expresses his great joy in the Philippians because they are, after all, his friends. He has a heart for them. The Philippians have again revived their concern for him, verse 10. Uh, Paul here is using a botanical metaphor. Uh, his, their concern, the Philippians' concern for him, has once again blossomed like flowers in the right season. Right? Not that they stopped caring for Paul, but the timing was all wrong. They just didn't have the chance to show it to him. Uh, maybe they didn't have the money at the time, or something else happened that prevented, prevented them from helping him. Uh, whatever it was, Paul was nevertheless thankful for them. He's thankful for their financial help. Uh, but then Paul says something that seems a little off. Uh, he tells them, not that I am speaking of being in need. Uh, it seems a little off. Because what does it sound like? Well, it sounds like reluctance. It sounds like Paul is being ungrateful. It kind of sounds like Paul is saying, thank you, but no thank you. Thanks for nothing, right? How rude. Uh, if that's what Paul is saying, then that's pretty harsh. But that's not actually what Paul is saying. Because he's not being ungrateful. He's not being flippant. No, he's genuinely thankful for them and the generous gift that they gave him. How they have shared and how they have participated in his troubles. But he does want to use this situation for them to learn something important from him. Uh, it's Paul picking up where he left off in verse 9 where he says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. 
And so if Paul is, seems reluctant, it's not because he's ungrateful. It's because he wants to teach them something. Even if he has to tell them, you know, thank you for the money you gave me, but I don't ultimately need it. I'm content without it. You know, Paul knows that money is a powerful thing. Whether you are receiving it or giving it, money is powerful. And it can be super dangerous. Uh, It's like that old regional poison control commercial. I've been uh, singing this little tune in my head all week long. Uh, Some of you older folks might remember it. Uh, It's pretty catchy. And it goes something like this. Uh, This is serious. We can make you delirious. You should have a healthy fear of us because too much of us is dangerous, right? Uh, You see, too much germs can be harmful to us. But we actually need certain germs to live, right? It's the same with money. Yes, we need it to a certain extent. But too much of it can be dangerous. Why? Uh, Because money can be the source of great discontentment in our lives. Some of our relationships are strained because of the place of money in our lives. Uh, This is why we are called not to fall in love with money. Uh, The writer to the Hebrews puts it like this, uh, Keep your life free from the love of money and and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will, be, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Paul refused to love money. He refused to find his contentment in it. Uh, so Paul goes on to say, uh, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. You know, to me, contentment is like capturing a unicorn. It's like a pipe dream. Because if we're honest, contentment is something we all want but can't seem to have. It seems out of our grasp. We just don't seem to ever be content. And if you follow Jesus long enough, you will find that contentment will be a great struggle in your life. But it is possible. Paul says, in whatever situation I am to be content. And he goes on to say, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. You see, contentment is something Paul himself has learned the hard way. Paul has faced it all. He's experienced the ups and downs of life, the highs and lows. Friends, this is the human condition. That as human beings, we all go through ups and downs, mountaintops and deep valleys, and everything else in between. And Paul has been there. He hung out with the apostles, but he had a bitter disagreement with Peter. He saw the church grow, but he also saw the church fight among themselves. He persecuted the church, and he was persecuted for the church. You see, Paul has faced it all. Uh, listen to Paul's personal experience from 2 Corinthians. It's kind of long, but I, it summarizes what, he go, what he's been through, right? 
He says this, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was drift, adrift at sea on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many uh, th- through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. In all of that, Paul has learned the secret of being content. Whether his stomach is full or it's empty, it didn't matter, he was content It was in that way that, not that I'm speaking of being in need, that Paul is not in need. He didn't ultimately need their gift to be satisfied. He can go through his imprisonment without their financial help. He's content to be low and weak. He says this again in 2 Corinthians, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, Insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The Apostle Paul was content. Uh, Here's the thing. Our situations go up and down. One day, our pockets are full, and they're empty the next. Uh, This is why Paul does not want our contentment to rest on money, or successes, or anything else. No, he says... I can do all things through him who, strength, who strengthens me. Verse 13. A better translation of that is actually this. I can do all things in him who strengthens me. For Paul, your contentment should never rest, or your contentment should rest in who you are, in your fundamental identity as a follower of Jesus. Your fundamental identity is in Christ. See, for Paul, it's in that union. It's only in that union. You belonging to Jesus Christ. It is in that identity will you ever find contentment. Christ is the only one who can quiet your discontentment in this life. Uh, Because He will give you the strength to go through every situation you will go through. You can do all things, Paul says. I want us to be careful here, right? Uh, This can sound like you can do whatever you want. Um, This is not an incentive to be a rock star or evil Knievel. I know some of you want to fly. Who doesn't want to, right? I want to fly. (laughs) But don't try it. Don't jump off that mountain thinking you can try and say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, that's not what this is about. Some of you want to be young again. You can't. This is not what that's about. It's about contentment in our limitations. Contentment when we are weak or strong. When we are poor or rich. Knowing that God will give us the strength to go through them. 
You know, wealth, wealth can often be a hindrance to those who have much of it. They think themselves to be self-sufficient. Uh, let me tell you, it's really hard to reach those who think they already have it all together. I mean, who really needs God if I have myself, if I can provide for myself? You know, the world is under the illusion that contentment comes from the inside. Just look deep within you. You know, if you can just uh, find happiness from within, maybe just clear your head or have more self-esteem, then you can be content. You can't. Contentment is not found inside of you. Paul's message is the opposite. Contentment doesn't come from within. It comes from without. It comes from being in union with a person, Christ, totally dependent on Him and His strength. In this way, we are all needy. But if we're in Christ, we're never in need. When do most people say, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me? Well, it's when we are needy, when we are low. I mean, I can talk about how challenging it is to be content when we're going through the deep valleys, when times are really hard. But I think it's just as hard to be content when times are good, when we have food on the table, when things are going well. Because what do we tend to think at those moments? We tend to think like the world, that we're self-sufficient, that we're content because we can, we can do it ourselves. But that is superficial contentment. I mean, do you ever notice your contentment fluctuating according to your circumstance? When things are bad, I'm discontent. When things are good, I seem to be content. Always up and down. But that is superficial contentment because true contentment is found only in Christ. It's not in our giving or receiving. It's not in anything we do or our circumstances. It's in what Christ can do for us and His strength for us. I mean, what would happen if we acknowledge that we need His strength when we're feeling on top of the world? What if we said more often, you know, I need God's strength on my best day than I do in my worst day? If we learn to say that more often, then we will be content. Uh, Paul acknowledges that he is a recipient of the Philippians' generous giving. Uh, they gave out of their poverty as he says in 1 Corinthians. And so again, uh, Paul is not receiving their gift with a sour face. He's not being ungrateful. Uh, he even expands on their generosity in verses 15 through 16. Uh, Paul is thankful that they entered into a partnership with him. I mean, no, none of the other churches were willing to do that except for them. The Philippians were the only congregation that met Paul's temporal needs. 
Yes, they were poor, but they were not stingy. Time and time again, the Philippians were there for the Apostle Paul. That's real friendship. Even when Paul couldn't be there for them, they were there for him. They had this partnership of giving and receiving. Uh, Now the language of giving and receiving here uh, are terms to describe in the ancient world the mutual obligations of friendship. And it sounds weird at first. It even sounds like they're just in business together. But it's, it's just part of being friends, isn't it? There's constant giving and receiving among each other. Uh, but for Paul, Paul was not a savvy businessman uh, looking for financial support. Because if that was the case, that would undermine his contentment in Christ. No, he labored for the gospel, not economic success. He separated himself from all these popular philosophers of the day. You know, those people who would stand in the corner for support. They wanted people to give them money for their brilliance and persuasion. But money is not a measure of success for Paul, and it never has been. Here's the thing about wealth. Uh, When you give money to people, it's easy to think that they owe you, that we have something over them. It's easy to think that way because that's the way the world works. Money is simply transactional. I give you money and you give me something in return. And when obligations are not met, what happens? What happens? Money tends to divide us. And it can even ruin our relationships with each other. Paul says that's not how it works in the kingdom of heaven. The economy of the world is about transaction. It's about self-benefit. What I can gain from others. But heaven's economy is radically different than the world's economy. Because the economy of heaven is about grace. It's about self-giving. This is why the Bible warns us that seeking after money and all that it can buy for us comes with many dangers. And here's the big one. Money can make us forget about God. When money is our life's pursuit, we will forget about God. Uh, Listen to this from Proverbs 30. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food uh, that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of the Lord. And we learn this same lesson from the history of Israel. You know, remember, God delivered them from Egypt. He took them uh, out of slavery and poverty. He fed their hungry bellies. Not because they were so good, but because He loved them. And then what happened? They became enamored with what they received. They, they became enamored with the gifts. Their bellies became full. I mean, listen again to Hosea 13. It was I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought, but then they grazed. They became full. They were filled, and their heart was lifted up. 
Therefore, they forgot me. When success and money gets the best of our hearts, it will make us forget about the Lord. Friends, that's scary. That's scary. Uh, But Paul wasn't interested in having more money in his pocket. Uh, It wasn't about more comfort for him. Uh, He wasn't after the gift itself, as he says. I mean, their gift was good, but it's not ultimately about that for Paul. Paul was was after something better. He was looking for the fruits from their gift. He was more interested in their faith and commitment to Christ. Uh, Jesus taught the same thing uh, when he told his disciples to store up treasures in heaven. Uh, He said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. What does our use of our money say about what we care about? You see, what we do with our money, with our wealth, is a reflection of what's inside of our hearts. That's scary. But it can also be beautiful. I mean, look at the Philippians here. Their giving was an expression of their collective heart. It showed that they valued God and what He has done in Christ. It revealed their contentment in Him. They're willing to give out of their poverty. This is why Paul says that their giving smelled so good to God. It wasn't because Paul was well supplied or that their money went a long way for him. It's because it was a sacrificial offering to God. You know, none of us like to be ignored. We hate giving to others and not be acknowledged for it. But we need to remember that giving should never be about our acceptance or our validation. We are to give... Not so that people can owe us, but out of a sacrificial heart. Because giving is an act of worship, a holy sacrifice acceptable and pleasing before the Lord. That's good news. Because God doesn't need our gifts. Like Paul, he didn't need the Philippians' gifts, but he accepted it. It was good in his eyes. Uh, Here's the point. God smells what you're cooking. He sees your offering, even when nobody else does. Because if it's acceptable and pleasing to Him, then it doesn't matter if no one acknowledges you for it. It doesn't matter if you're not validated for it. Keep sharing, because that's actually the way you receive. When we share what we have, God promises to meet all of our needs. Uh, This is what Paul says to the Philippians. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. 
Your giving will never leave you empty. God will meet every need that you have. So the question is, what is their need? Right? If Paul's need is any indication, then their need is God's strength. Strength. God's strength in times of prosperity and poverty. Strength in fullness and emptiness. Strength in plenty and strength in hunger. That's what they need. In the same way Paul received strength, they too will receive strength from the Lord. In the same way Paul was content in every situation, they too will be content in every situation. This is a gospel principle. The way to receive is to give. That's the economy of heaven. The way to receive is to give. If we really let that sink deep into our bones, it will change us. Because when we believe that, we can begin to chip away at all the things we think can make us content. Because isn't that what the gospel looks like? Right? When you give yourself away, then you will find yourself. Jesus gave himself away, and he found us. He received us. This is why God loves a cheerful giver. When we give, not out of compulsion, not out of force, but out of our contentment in the Lord, it is acceptable and pleasing to him. It doesn't matter how little we can give. God is not impressed with the size of our contribution. Which means we can always give. You don't have any money? Give your time. You can't contribute financially? Then serve your brothers and your sisters. Because God, God is after our hearts, not our wallets. When our giving is sacrificial, when it is an act of worship, it smells good to our God. It is acceptable and pleasing to Him. Uh, Paul ends his letter with a word of hope. I know it doesn't kind of seem like it, but it, it is. And it's this hope. It's that the word was getting out. The Philippians' commitment to the kingdom is not in vain. They didn't give in vain. Because it helped Paul minister, right? Even people in Caesar's house, in a Roman ruler's house, the message has taken root even there. It is flourishing even there. And so comes Paul's word of blessing. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. There's hope. If grace can come to those in Caesar's house, then grace will not leave them. The Lord Jesus said, it is better to give than to receive. Because in giving, God teaches us contentment in Him. He teaches us that our contentment does not rest in what we can possess, 
that even when we have nothing, we have everything because we have Him. He will strengthen us in every situation we find ourselves in. We see this very thing at work in Jesus. Look to Jesus. Jesus was content to be poor. The Bible tells us that he had no place to lay his head. Yet he was the most generous person to ever live. In fact, his contentment brought him all the way to the cross, where he hung, suspended for greedy sinners like us. But in giving himself, he came to receive us. Uh, Listen to what Paul says somewhere else. He says, Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. You see, Jesus lived by the principle of giving is receiving. That's why he pursued us, by giving himself for us. Jesus was content to hunger, to thirst, to be brought low. Jesus knew what it was like to go through the ups and downs of life. And he did it all because he loves us. That's the gospel. Uh, let me close with a, free, with a few reflections then. The world is enamored with money and all that it can offer us. Because money promises life. It promises contentment. And it's easy even for us to believe that. But money will never make us content. In fact, it will become a master over us if we pursue it before the kingdom of God. Like Jesus says, No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So the question is, what are you pursuing? Who are you pursuing? Who are you devoted to? You know, it's okay to make money and provide for your family and yourself. But don't let your pursuit of money come before your pursuit of God. Don't forget to pursue your spouse, your children, your friends, your church, your community. Pursue those things before you pursue money. And I know I've been talking a lot about money, um, but it's not just about money. Because money is not the only thing that promises contentment. Success promises contentment. Control promises contentment. Indulgence promises contentment. We all have different things that promises contentment in our lives. But let me tell you, you won't be content when your children are obedient, when your your spouse is fixed when your house gets nicer, when your car gets bigger. And you certainly won't be content when you have more money. If you, had, if, you, if you had eternal life with all the riches in the world and you don't have Jesus, you still won't be content. Only in Jesus will you ever, will you ever find contentment. And so this meal before us is the opposite of what money can do. 
Our pursuit of money can make us forget about God. But this meal is a reminder that God has pursued us, that we might not forget about him, that we might remember that in Jesus we are ultimately accepted because he gave himself for us as a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God so that in him our greatest need is satisfied, strength in him in all circumstances. I'd like to invite uh, the elders and Pastor Brett to come that we might partake of this meal. Let's pray. O Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we give you praise and thanksgiving for your great love for us. We are humbled by your holy word. We thank you for instructing us in the way of contentment. Help us to give ourselves for one another all the week long that we might reflect the gospel. May our giving be an acceptable and pleasing aroma in your presence. Teach us that in our giving, you are shaping us to be more and more like you, our self-giving God and Savior. In the name of him in whose name we rest in, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.